Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Story time. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. 
I remember a chilling story that was shared with me by my uncle and my dad. It happened during one of their jobs near a dense wooded area. It all began when my uncle mysteriously vanished, leaving my dad bewildered. Concerned for his brother's safety, my dad started searching the woods, desperately trying to locate him. And then, amidst the eerie silence of the forest, my dad stumbled upon my uncle frantically running around. Naturally, my dad was taken aback and demanded an explanation. What the hell are you doing? He exclaimed. But my uncle, his face etched with a mixture of fear and confusion, responded with something that sent shivers down my spine. I swear to God, I heard someone calling my name out here, and I was trying to find out where it was coming from. That story has always haunted me. It's unsettling to think that such experiences are not uncommon. The idea of hearing phantom voices in the woods, calling out to unsuspecting souls, continues to send a chill down my spine. It's as if the forests hold secrets, whispering their mysteries into the ears of those who dare to listen. I have a story to share with you that left me quite intrigued. It involves my neighbor and a rather unexpected visitor. It was on January 6th or 7th of this year when this incident took place, and it's something that still gives me chills when I think about it. My neighbor, an elderly woman who lives about three miles away from me near Highway 101, had a startling encounter. She recounted that Bigfoot, yes, you heard that right, Bigfoot, paid her a visit on her back porch. Now, we do have quite a few bears in the area, and at first, she assumed it was one of them causing the commotion. But when she went to investigate the noise, she realized it was something far more astonishing. Standing just five feet away, she caught sight of a silhouette unlike anything she had ever seen before. It wasn't a bear, she was certain of that. This figure, towering at five feet seven in height compared to her husband, had distinct features that set it apart. She was particularly struck by its large and thick neck, a feature she hadn't associated with Bigfoot before. It was an unexpected detail that caught her attention. As she observed the creature rummaging through her garbage can, she couldn't help but feel a mix of awe and curiosity. Bigfoot, right there on her porch. The encounter was both exhilarating and unsettling for her. She mentioned that she and her husband have no dogs, so there were no other distractions or explanations for what she saw. I had heard tales and legends of Bigfoot before, but this first-hand account from someone I know left me amazed. The fact that Bigfoot would venture so close to human habitation, even in our quiet neighborhood, made it all the more captivating. It made me wonder how many other extraordinary encounters might have happened in our vicinity without our knowledge. Steve, another neighbor who relayed this story to me, mentioned that sightings of Bigfoot in our area weren't unheard of. However, this particular visit to my neighbor's porch added a new layer of intrigue and speculation to the ongoing mysteries surrounding this elusive creature. As for me, I find myself walking around with a newfound sense of wonder and excitement. Who knows what other extraordinary creatures or phenomena might be lurking just beyond our backyards. It's a reminder that there are still mysteries in the world waiting to be unraveled, and I can't help but be captivated by the possibilities.
I have a fascinating story to share with you, one that happened to a man named John. It was a memorable evening when he and his wife decided to spend some time at Rooster Rock State Park in Oregon, right by the majestic Columbia River. Little did they know that their peaceful fishing trip would take an unexpected turn. It was around 2 a.m., and John found himself alone at the fishing inlet while his wife peacefully slept in their tent. The full moon illuminated the surroundings, creating an eerie yet beautiful atmosphere. As he cast his line, he heard a piercing and mournful scream that seemed to come from a distance. The sound sent shivers down his spine, filling the air with an unsettling presence. Curiosity got the better of John, and he turned his gaze in the direction of the scream. To his astonishment, just ten feet away, stood a massive figure that could only be described as a ten-foot-tall Bigfoot. The creature didn't seem to pay any attention to John, its gaze fixed across the river. Rooster Rock, being known as a potential crossing point for Bigfoot, added a layer of credibility to this extraordinary encounter. As John stood frozen, he couldn't help but notice the creature's eyes. In the moonlight, they shimmered like silver dollars, eight inches apart, glowing with an intense fiery red. It was a sight that sent chills down his spine, filling him with a mix of fear and awe. Panic started to take hold of him, but then something inexplicable happened. A message of peace and non-aggression echoed in John's mind, as if telepathically communicated. It was a calming presence, urging him to maintain a sense of peace and to back away slowly. He listened to the message, turned around, collected his fishing gear, and started to retreat. The encounter had left him in a state of shock and disbelief. In a daze, John packed up his belongings and left in his boat, leaving his wife behind in the tent, completely unaware of what had just transpired. Later, when she woke up and discovered her husband missing, she sought help from a friend to search for him. Little did she know that John had been arrested, a consequence of the encounter's aftermath. As unbelievable as it may sound, the couple returned to the site later, driven by a need for answers. Their disbelief turned into astonishment when they discovered deep and wide tracks, measuring 17 and 20 inches in length. It was evidence that something extraordinary had indeed occurred that night. John, now eager to share his story, expressed his intention to return and recount his experiences when he finds the time. However, he chose not to disclose his last name or any contact information for verification purposes, leaving his tale to be shared solely through word of mouth. This encounter with the enigmatic Bigfoot left John and his wife forever changed, their perspective on the world forever expanded. It serves as a reminder that there are still mysteries lurking in the shadows, waiting to be explored and understood. Reports of a large bipedal canine resembling a hyena have been circulating around Grand Rapids in the lower peninsula of Michigan. Officer Blackburn had his incident on February 2, 1999, and I was the one who responded to the call. We received reports of an unidentified animal spotted on King Highway near Riesland Drive and Comstock Park. Since our jurisdiction covered the entire county, we quickly made our way to the scene. According to the witnesses, they were driving when they suddenly caught sight of something darting across the road and disappearing into the nearby woods. Their description sent chills down my spine, 
a creature standing about six feet tall, covered in black fur, with a long and swiftly moving tail. Its movements were eerily fluid, reminiscent of a kangaroo. They expected it to leap over a nearby ditch, but it never did. The most unsettling detail was that it ran on two legs. Without wasting any time, I ventured into the wooded area, following the tracks I found in the snow. Step by step, I pressed forward, keen on uncovering the truth. The tracks led me deeper into the woods, and for about 15 minutes, I diligently pursued their trail. However, my efforts came to an abrupt halt when the tracks vanished at a steep embankment. The feat of scaling that bank with feet like those I had seen was impossible, with massive canine feet measuring around 20 inches in length. It was perplexing and added another layer of mystery to the situation. Interestingly, the reports of this creature have only emerged during daylight hours, with no known sightings of the creature at night. This deviation from typical Bigfoot encounters, which mostly occur under cover of darkness, makes it all the more unusual. The witnesses, exclusively rural residents, have shared their experiences of hearing strange sounds before coming face to face with this large bipedal canine figure while engaging in activities such as hunting or hiking. Reflecting on these accounts, I can't help but wonder about the existence of such a creature. It raises questions that linger in my mind. What could be the nature of this mysterious being? And what secrets do the woods hold within their depths? About seven years ago, I had a remarkable encounter with two Sasquatch in the Blue Mountains of Walla Walla, Washington. It was shortly after I had relocated from Houston, Texas, and I decided to take my dad's bug for a drive. I ventured up Mill Creek Road, which led me to Squaw Springs Campgrounds. It was quite a journey, about an hour and a half into the blues, on a somewhat gravel road. If I recall correctly, it was either July or August. As dusk settled in, I turned on my headlights while navigating a bend in the road. That's when I spotted them crossing the road, two impressive creatures. One stood approximately eight feet tall, while the other was around seven feet. They locked eyes with me, and the reflection of my headlights revealed their eyes to be a striking yellow color. The sun's gentle glow highlighted their bodies, making it evident that these were not bears or elk. I brought my vehicle to a halt as they crossed, hoping to catch another glimpse as they disappeared into the woods. Unfortunately, I couldn't see anything further, nor did I detect any peculiar odors. I searched for tracks, but the ground was too hard to find any conclusive evidence. So, I returned to my bug and headed home. A week or two later, while shopping at the Eastgate Mall, I stumbled upon a Bigfoot display arranged by two individuals named Paul Freeman and Wes Summerlin. They had set up an exhibit featuring two stuffed Bigfoots. Intrigued, I shared with them my encounter in the blues. They informed me that the creatures I had seen were a male and female couple that had been spotted numerous times. Freeman, in particular, had made notable discoveries, uncovering miles of tracks and capturing video footage of Bigfoot in the area. However, over time, it became evident that Freeman had fabricated a significant portion of his evidence, which was disappointing because I believed he possessed genuine material. Nonetheless, 
I formed a friendship with the Summerlin family and even accompanied them on a search for Bigfoot. Wes, in particular, had a wealth of stories, hair samples, photographs, and more. He never sought to sensationalize the matter, he simply believed, and that was enough. Unfortunately, Wes passed away some time ago, and I don't believe any substantial research is ongoing in the area. However, a friend and I still venture into the mountains a couple of times a week, continuing our quest. I know Sasquatch is here, I've seen them with my own eyes. The number of sightings may have decreased since Freeman's departure, leading some to doubt their existence. It's an ironic situation because deep down, you know Bigfoot is real, yet the evidence you stumble upon sometimes points in the opposite direction, despite your first-hand encounters. Back in 2021 my family took a trip to Lake St. Itla in North Carolina. A beautiful lake that's rich in Native American history and surrounded by mountain trails. We decided to go on one of these trails on an overcast day. I am not an athletic person and suffer from asthma so I was behind the rest of my family by myself. About almost halfway through the hike I heard my sister yell my birth name but it sounded like it was off the trail. She never calls me by real name just my nickname I've had since I was a baby. It sounded like she was scared so I was very tempted to run off and find her but I knew my sister wasn't stupid. She wouldn't go off the trail even in case of an emergency. I quickly caught up to the rest of my family and my sister was there with them. Resting on some rocks next to a waterfall. Chatting away and taking pictures. I asked my sister if she had called my name. She didn't know what I was talking about. She had been talking to our dad the whole time. I don't know what called my name that day but I'm glad I didn't listen to it. Who knows what would have happened to me. I haven't been to that trail since this encounter. I don't have a clue what called my name. If you're educated on Appalachian folklore please give me some insight on what happened to me. I'm back with another story I'd like to share with you. Or rather, I feel the need to share with you as there's nothing I like about it when someone goes missing in our national parks. The British search and rescue team are contacted immediately, however, they are always at least half an hour's flight away. And even then, they only have so much flight time before they are forced to turn their helicopter around to refuel. This leaves a lot of searching down to the rangers, as we know all of the areas and trails very well. It's always an adrenaline pump situation to be in, as you never know what the outcome will be. Usually, the helicopter spots the lost people within 20 minutes of joining the search. But then there are the missing people. You should know that between the rangers, we refer to these situations with two categories, lost people and missing people. A lost person is a normal search and rescue scenario. Somebody went down the wrong trail and hasn't been seen in a while, and perhaps throwing a broken leg for good measure. The main thing is that we find them, even if they are a little beaten up. A missing person is somebody who hasn't been seen for anything over a day, or if the situation just seems off. For example, when people just seem to disappear. I have one particular case I'm going to share with you. I will warn you closer to the time, but there is some pretty explicit content in this memory, so here is your far pre-warning. 
It was a pretty standard shift. The sky was just starting to dim as the sun started sinking towards the horizon, and I was sat in the ranger station taking calls and checking emails. When a woman comes bursting to the door, absolutely beside herself. Her hair is a mess with leaves tangled in it, her makeup is all smudged down and across her face, and her eyes are red from crying. She's telling me that her son had been by her side one minute, and when he went to the bushes just off the trail for a wee, he never came back. There was no scream, no noise, no nothing. I knew at this instant we had a missing person on our hands, and my heart stopped. A missing child was always bad news and seldom had a happy ending. He had been in the bush for maybe two minutes when his mother called out to him, and she went running into the woods to try and find him. She was very lucky to have made it back to the trail without getting lost or worse, if you ask me. I tried my best to calm her down and took her to a map, and after showing her where our station was, I asked her to try and locate their average location at the time while I made some calls. She protested at first, but after assuring her we had dealt with this kind of situation many times before, she brought herself to trust my instructions and started tracing her tracks on the map. I immediately called the search and rescue team closest to us and told them the exact location was to be confirmed, but to dispatch a helicopter for a missing child. They gave us an ETA of 40 minutes. I gather all the rangers on duty and, after confirming with the woman where she believed they were when he disappeared, we all get assigned grids on the map to check and we head out. We are very thorough as we search, and we each square off the grid very effectively, and do not leave so much as a rock unturned. So we're getting deeper and deeper into the woods. At this point, we've been searching for a good couple of hours, but the dogs hadn't picked up the boy's scent yet and we were merely doing a routine comb-styled search. The helicopter was buzzing around non-stop, and everybody was quiet. No one really spoke much while looking for children. I think it's because of the fact that it's a child we are looking for, not an adult who may be able to look after themselves. I'm getting this heavy knotted feeling in my gut, you know, the kind you get when you just know that it's going to be a fruitless effort. I should also mention that it's getting dark now, and there's not much light left, and what little is left is completely blocked out by the trees, so it's flashlights from here on out. We'll never find this kid, bro, my colleague said in a completely flat voice. Don't talk like that. We never know what we can find while searching, I reply sharply, though deep down in my gut, I knew that child was gone. The helicopter heads back for some more fuel and comes back again after a further few hours of searching. It is getting very dark, and we call it a night as everyone needs to be back before the forest is completely consumed by darkness. The woman stayed in one of the medical beds we had previously prepared for her son, though I doubt she slept at all. I watched the cameras that lay deep in the forest, somewhat in the area the child could have walked in. After an hour or so of nothing, I eventually decided to call it a night. We didn't find this boy the next day or the day after that for that matter. Three weeks later, one of our rangers radios that they found the body of the child deep into the woods. So sad. It was the summer of 2019, and I found myself near Snow Lake in Washington State. As dusk settled in, 
I realized I was one of the few remaining visitors at the lake. The tranquility of the surroundings was interrupted when I heard my Japanese middle name being called out, a name that is quite uncommon even among Japanese individuals. It stopped me dead in my tracks. The voice seemed to originate from the opposite direction of where I had come from. Initially, I thought it was merely a coincidence, someone sharing the same name as me. But as the voice called out again, and then once more, doubt turned into unease. My instincts kicked in, telling me that something was not right. I grabbed my friend and urged them to accompany me back to the parking lot before darkness consumed the landscape. With only our phone lights to guide us, we embarked on the final two miles of the hike in pitch black darkness. The whole experience was unsettling, and I vowed to only visit the area during daylight hours from that point on. Snow Lake had been a beautiful location, but the strange encounter left me wary. Over a year later, I learned of a chilling incident that occurred in the same area. A man named Brendan Neppen had gone missing along with his dog. He was a 37-year-old avid hiker, and despite extensive search efforts, not a single trace of him or his dog was ever found. There were speculations that he may have hiked further up the trail to Gem Lake, which was just under two miles away from Snow Lake. I had been to Gem Lake myself during the day, appreciating its breathtaking views. It's an open area, seemingly impossible to get lost in. The disappearance of Brendan Neppen struck a chord with me, as I recalled my own eerie encounter near Snow Lake. It served as a grim reminder that even in the most stunning landscapes, there may be an underlying darkness, hidden from view. The memory of that voice calling my name still lingers, a chilling reminder of the mysteries that lie within the wilderness. Let me share a story from the mid-80s that still gives me goosebumps to this day. It was during that time when my friend, our girlfriends, and I embarked on a road trip from Baltimore to Hampton Roads for a couple of Grateful Dead concerts. The concerts were a blast, and we were filled with euphoria as we made our way back home after the second show, which I believe took place on a Saturday or Sunday. Somewhere north of Richmond, in the desolate stretches of I-95, we decided to pull over and take a break. We found a secluded spot, far enough off the road, to relieve ourselves. The girls opted to go by the side of the car, while my friend and I ventured closer to the tree line. It was the middle of the night, and the surrounding area was shrouded in darkness. As we finished up, the stillness of the night was broken by a sudden and quiet whistle. It was that classic wheat woo sound, originating from the other side of the tree line. The moment the whistle reached our ears, a chill ran down our spines. We exchanged a glance of disbelief and fear, hastily zipped up, and sprinted back towards the car. Our girlfriends were taken aback by our sudden urgency as we jumped into the car and sped away. They demanded an explanation, wondering what had happened. We decided to wait until we were a safe distance down the road before sharing the unsettling encounter with them. It was at that moment that we recounted the whistle from the other side of the trees, relaying our sense of alarm and the urgency to leave the area. The girls were equally shocked and disturbed by our experience. To this day, the memory of that night haunts us. We often speculate about who or what could have made that whistle in the darkness of the Virginia wilderness. 
Was it a harmless passerby, or did it carry a more sinister intent? The unanswered questions and the feeling of unease have stayed with us ever since that night on the side of I-95. My name is Officer Jake Thompson, and I've carried a haunting memory with me since my childhood, an encounter with an unidentified creature that forever etched fear into my heart. That memory has fueled my obsession, my unrelenting pursuit to solve the mystery of its existence. Years passed, and I became a seasoned cop, but the memory of that encounter never left me. And then, one fateful night, a series of bizarre animal attacks gripped the city. The details struck me with an eerie familiarity, bearing a striking resemblance to the horrors of my childhood. Deep down, I knew that the creature had returned. Convinced of its reappearance, I assembled a team of fellow officers who had also experienced encounters with the unknown. We shared a bond, forged by the terror that lurked in the shadows. Each member carried their own scars, haunted by their personal encounters with the enigmatic creature. Together, we vowed to face it head-on and put an end to its reign of terror. As we embarked on our hunt, tensions simmered beneath the surface. The weight of our shared traumas tested our bonds, stretching them to their limits. Yet, we pressed forward, fueled by a collective determination to uncover the truth and protect those we swore to serve. Night after night, we tracked the creature across the city, following the trail of bizarre animal attacks. With every step, the air grew heavy with anticipation and fear. The line between predator and prey blurred, as we became both hunters and the hunted. Finally, we cornered the creature in an abandoned warehouse. A palpable tension hung in the air, each member of our team ready to face the ultimate test. But as the climactic showdown unfolded, the true strength of the creature revealed itself. With terrifying speed and brute force, it overpowered us, striking us down one by one. The very officers who had once stood by my side, now fell victim to the creature's relentless assault. Blood stained the cold concrete floor as the echoes of our desperate struggle reverberated through the empty space. I fought valiantly, refusing to succumb to the creature's savagery. But in the end, I too became its prey. As my strength waned, I stared into the eyes of the creature, witnessing the culmination of a lifelong obsession. It had defeated me, the last one standing. In my final moments, as darkness claimed me, I realized the true nature of my pursuit. It had consumed me, blinded me to the inevitable cost. My obsession had led to the demise of not only myself but also those I had come to consider family. As Officer Jake Thompson fell, another victim of the creature he had sought to defeat, the city remained shrouded in the terror of the unknown. The memory of our sacrifice would fade, but the creature would linger, a constant reminder of the darkness that exists just beyond the edges of our perception. And so, my story ends in tragedy, a cautionary tale of how obsession and the pursuit of the unknown can devour even the strongest among us. The unanswered questions and the lurking fears would continue to haunt the city, a reminder that sometimes, there are mysteries that should remain unsolved. I've spent tons of my life in the forests, and scrublands, of Washington, including some very minimalistic backcountry long-distance hikes, 
And these are the only truly unnerving things that happened. The first was maybe 2010. Hiking on the Colonel Bob Trail, and it was fairly empty because it was a rainy day and the trail was partially washed out at the time. We only saw one other person the whole time, a man we first passed resting against a rock, carrying a rifle. My friend started chatting to him and asked if he was hunting, and he said no, he was actually out training for an upcoming hunting event. After this we passed him repeatedly without ever seeing him pass us, and without him saying a word to us. Often he was just crouched in the bushes off the trail, watching us go by. I get that he was just a very skilled stalker who could move quietly off the trail beside us, but even though I know this was just his hobby that had nothing to do with us, it sort of felt like we were the targets of the stalking and made me uneasy. The second, I think it was 2019, was weirder. We'd been camping for a few nights, just sleeping in the van in spots around the national forest, having a great time. Moonlight, full sky of stars, owls and insects, the whole experience. We hadn't seen any other people in the forest itself, but it was very lively and safe feeling. On the third night we were fairly deep in somewhere southeast of Quinault, and the atmosphere was completely different. There were a ton of fires going in Washington and Oregon so the air had gotten really thick with smoke, then fog had rolled in off the Pacific, and the two together completely absorbed all noise and light. There was no wind at all, no rustling of trees, and not a glimmer of light. With the headlights of the van visibility was maybe two feet, but with them off it was space mountain levels of darkness. Like you could not see your own hand an inch from your face. I opened the van door to get out and piss before sleeping but decided against it. The air was seriously just so thick, still, and dark that it made all my hair stand on end. Plus we'd parked on a road with steep switchbacks so I was a little bit worried I'd walk off a cliff. Since neither of us were risking going outside we went straight to bed. As we were drifting off there was suddenly pounding on the middle side window, right above where I was lying and on the side facing the trees rather than the road. It sounded like an angry person banging on it with the side of their fist. We both went dead silent and still, then my friend roared, what? In a comically deep voice. No answer, but maybe 10 seconds later we heard a slow tap. Tap. Scrape on the side of the van. My friend had lived in this van in Seattle for five years and it had plenty of people actually trying to break in and basically just shoot them away, but in that moment he said F this and we got into our seats, got our seatbelts on, and left. Like maybe there was someone camped nearby, but they definitely weren't behind us, or to the right or left of us. And the worst part is that it was a gravel forestry access road, with gravel on both sides of the car on the most oppressively silent night I've ever experienced, and we didn't hear a single footstep. I think the absence of footsteps is actually what gave both of us the sense of urgency, because it did not feel like this was a drunk grouse hunter trying to pull a prank. We were in Skykomish overnight in July 2007 for an event, and there also happened to be some kind of town reunion so the hotel was full. My youngest was almost one and woke up crying and simply would not stop, which was unusual for her. I grew concerned that she would wake up people in the rooms nearby so went out to the car to drive around a bit, 
thinking that might soothe her to sleep. Skykomish is a tiny mountain town on Highway 2, along the Skykomish River, and the railroad does stop there for freight. It consists of a four-block square of streets, and a bridge crosses over the river to Highway 2, which I would not cross since I didn't want to be on the highway at night. Around and around, slowly and with the window down as it was warm, I drove the square, while my baby was quiet, but she would immediately cry if I went back to park at the hotel. Back we went, and the entire time I could hear the frantic cries of birds yet could never see them. This twittering never stopped, and it didn't sound like bats, yet I still don't know what birds were crying in the dark like that. The strangest part was that I could drive alongside the rail yard, in full view of the trains, tracks, and buildings, where I could hear clanging and men talking, which seemed comforting except that I never spotted a single person. There were lights, and train engines were running, yet all this bustling activity never revealed the sight of a single person. The worst part for me was that my baby never did go back to sleep until after daybreak, so I was out the entire night among all the unknown noises. As I said, I don't think it was supernatural, but I wish I knew what the sounds were. I thought of it a couple years ago when a young woman named Gia Fuda disappeared there and was feared dead, yet was found eight nine days later alive, sitting naked next to the river with no memory of where she'd been. I will never stay overnight there again. I'm from Oslo city in Norway, but when I was a teenager, we moved to a bit more remote place about 30 minutes outside the city. Mostly houses and woods, and moose, badger, fox, wolf and lynx around. But mostly lots of roe deers, whose way used to humans. No farms and stables in the nearby area. No homeless people and the teens who snuck out usually hung around the mall to steal fresh delivered Napoleon cake from the bakery's loading dock. We lived quite central by a mall, school and such. There was a small forest behind our house, maybe five kilometer radius. One summer, two friends and I went camping for one night in the small forest. We were 14-15 years old girls. There was a bonfire place about 100 meter from my house, where we put up the tent. The ground is packed tight and has this hollow sound when you walk on it. The tent was big for three and kind of round. So it would be hard for someone to reach the top without collapsing on the tent wall. And it was an old tent and the fabric was quite rotten. It did not rain that night. We did not bring any food or food equipment, except candy that we had inside the tent. What happened? We set up. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Gossiping and eating candy until midnight. When we tried to sleep, we heard hooves walking beside the tent. We laid still listening, pretty sure there were curious roe deers. But it was also this rattling sound of metal that seemed weird. Not like tin cans, but just like night armor sound from movies. 
Suddenly it started to blow up with strong wind and we started talking to ease the atmosphere. The hooves and metal sound reminded me of a knight on a horse. Then my one friend said that sounds like two knights. We brushed it off as roe deers, but we never heard them leave. We kept talking when suddenly the wind ripped open a huge gash in the middle of the tent roof, right above me, and strong light, can only describe it as a lightning, came through the opening. We screamed and the wind stopped and the light disappeared as quickly as it came. We didn't hear anything around us, it was dead silence. No sound of footsteps or hooves, no sound of helicopter or anything. We just looked at each other and panicked out of the tent and run to my place for the rest of the night. Went back next morning and took down the tent and looked around. Found nothing that could help us figure out what happened. We did not drink or take drugs that night. My parents slept, so it couldn't be them messing with us. I've been much around in this little forest in my teens. Never experienced weird things before or after. In the aftermath, we nervously landed on some kind of rare lightning and rode deers with one foot in a metal can. But we didn't believe that either. One year ago this weekend I took a solo backpacking trip to the Otter Creek Wilderness in West Virginia. Plan was for 16 mile loop over one night. Due to impassable river I put camp up about a mile in. Beautiful spot with campsites along river, wonderful weather. I hung out, hiked around and enjoyed the solitude. I had not and did not see another person since entering the forest roads. Mid-afternoon I decide to lay down in the tent and just relax slash nap. I'm awoken after about 45 minutes. By the sound of a metallic clattering. Closest description, take a round fire pit or large grill grate and drop it on its side. And it's close. Of course I assume other people. Nothing. No sign of anyone anywhere and nothing in the area that could have accounted for that sound. Curious and confused. I go about my day. Later, explored more, dinner, fire and enjoying the forest night. Around 9.30 I heard a distinct single knock come from the hillside above me. As I turned to shine flashlight in that direction and saw nothing, another single knock came from over my left shoulder, closer to the river. I don't think it was a cross river as it was pretty clear. Suddenly feeling not alone, I packed up and headed out. Slept in my truck with no other issues. I'm well aware of knocking reports. Anyone have anything similar to the metallic sound experience? I used to night hike with friends during high school and go off into wilderness around North Bend, Fall City, and Preston. Sometimes in the rain at 2 a.m. I did one time have an encounter with something deer-looking and tallest in the middle of the night at the top of the Issaquah Highlands, also ran into my first bear encounter there lol. Whatever it was it was peering out of the bushes near the only street light on a road that goes into the wealthiest homes there. I was just taking a stroll admiring the architecture. It literally looked like a deer, I could only see its head and neck. It made no sound when I saw it come out. We made eye contact and I was about 15-20 feet away. Only thing was this thing was literally 7 feet tall. In the first 2 seconds I saw it, I was stunned, and cautious. 
It then suddenly tilted its neck 90 degrees and I ran so fast back to my car that shit freaked me out. But it happened so suddenly I don't talk about it much. It's not a credible story for me. Other than that I had one ghost experience as a child. Shit is ingrained in my memory. I can never rule out the supernatural because of that experience. Guess I've had three poltergeist events too but again I don't find them compelling enough, just, unexplainable. I was with some friends screwing around in the mountains above Spokane during hunting season. We were driving up a dirt road when we saw some lights on the hillside above us, maybe 300 yards away, over a creek and up a hillside. It was dark enough and we were in a canyon that the sides looked pitch black except for three red lights. I thought it was hunters with headlamps set to red to keep their night vision, but they were acting kinda funny. They seemed to be hopping up and down every so often, even playing leapfrog. They never disappeared behind each other and moved pretty quickly at times. We ended up outside of the truck watching them and trying to see through the binoculars. They went out in the middle of the hill and we watched a minute longer with nothing happening. At that point, my buddy got out his massive spotlight. We lit up the hillside, everything looked normal but where the lights were was a rocky cliff face with sheer drops and overhangs. We decided to head back at that point and started driving back down. Took a wrong turn and ended up on an impassable road, by truck, that led to the top of a ridgeline. My friend starts backing out when the entire forest lights up with an intense blue-white light. We all look up out the windows expecting to see a helicopter or something, but none of us can actually pinpoint the source. My buddy stomps on the gas in reverse, we go flying and right when we break out onto the main road, the light shuts off. It was far too bright to be a spotlight. Being near a ridgeline I had a decent view and it seemed like a large area of the forest was lit up like a movie set. We booked it down the mountain and it became a running joke that we scared some fae so they decided to scare us lol. I've been back and seen the rock face in the daytime, but for the life of me I cannot find the other road we pulled onto. I remember it looking really defined when we pulled onto it though and not even questioning if it was the right way. I am a female, 22, I am petite, really pale, and always messy hair. I was wearing loosened clothes, all white, maybe you will guess where I am heading to, I was outside smoking, while sitting on a chair in my front yard. I forgot to mention an essential detail, I live in the countryside, my street leads to fields and forests, the night here hits differently, if you know what I mean. The sky offers some great masterpieces freely to our starry eyes. So yes I was just hyper-focusing on the sky. I just stood up and decided to take a picture, I wanted to reproduce it through painting. However, I was really disappointed by my lame camera. So I decided to head out inside to grab one of my parents' phones since their quality were better. While I was trying to take some pics, I felt a gaze on me, it was my new neighbor. She was staring at me. I was in my front garden, just in front of her house. I was waiting since in my front yard there is an automatic light, it flashes at any movement and lasts for like 20 seconds. Important element. So I was only visible for a few moment. It was pitch dark again. 
There are no street lights where I live. So I was relieved to feel invisible. As I was finally taking mesmerized pictures. Out of the blue, the flash of the phone I was holding started to light up. The moon was right on the left side of her house. Yeah, it looked like I was taking photos of her house. I heard her screaming. I put my hand on the flashlight, turned it off. I was petrified. I didn't know which option was the best. A fleeing right away in my house, so reactivated the flash, looking suspicious B confronted her, also talking to her for the first time, and explaining the whole situation because I scared her quite often. I will explain after the other option. C just disappearing in the dark and waiting. Okay so I am a night owl and I love art. It is not unusual to see me outside standing right in front of my house or in the middle of the driveway past midnight, taking pictures, smoking or just contemplating. So I spooked her multiple times, I know because she said that I was the weird neighbor to someone. One day, I was playing in the front yard, playing with my cat with a red light laser, obviously late at night. I accidentally lighted my laser towards one of her windows, so a flashy red light point was visible. I heard her screaming, lighted up the room, I turned it off and I glanced at her. She was looking at me and shut the curtains. Back to the story, I decided to not move and wait. Then I was like, I should still continue taking pics. I heard loud voices, the front door opened, I heard them walking slowly towards their car and whispering. What was I supposed to do? I just took a last pic and headed to my house. As the flash went on, I was petting my cat. I heard her saying again this weird chick. As soon as I closed the door, I laughed out loud. Nervous reaction? Surely, I should find a way to talk to her, reassuring her that I am inoffensive or just remaining the weird neighbor. Alright so this takes place a little over a year ago in the north woods of Wisconsin in winter. My parents had been out of town for probably about a week and I was dog sitting, I was in a big old house alone, which I didn't mind too much. I couldn't drive but I'd take long, cold, winter walks through the woods a few miles to get to the grocery store. I say this to point out that I knew the place pretty well and definitely wasn't scared of the area. On one of the last days they'd be gone I heard a strong distinct whistle. It was at the same tempo of the sound a foghorn would make, but very high pitched. It was pretty loud and sounded incredibly close. I looked out the window and saw nothing and no one, I also heard about nothing, no footsteps, birds, deer or anything else. The silence was so eerie that I could feel my heart pounding, I immediately ran to shut and lock all of the doors and windows. I stayed up about half of the night with the most unsettling feeling I just couldn't shake, like when you know that something's watching you. I also want to mention that my closest neighbors were completely out of town and I saw no footsteps the next morning except my own. I grew up in Hillsboro, just down the road, and there was something that haunted me during those years, a tall, featureless figure darker than the darkest night. It appeared in my room on multiple occasions, always in a different position. Sometimes it would be crouched down in the corner, facing the wall, while other times it would lurk inside my closet, staring into its depths. 
These encounters left me feeling unsettled and frightened. One particular night, shortly before I was about to leave for college, the figure took on a more terrifying form. As I awoke from my sleep, I saw it bent over at a perfect 90-degree angle, its face positioned directly above mine. It started repeating the same phrase, over and over again, in a haunting voice, I am here, I am here. The words echoed through the room, sending shivers down my spine. That night marked the last time I ever saw the figure. As I left for college, I hoped to leave behind the unsettling experiences of my childhood. However, the memory of that encounter remains deeply ingrained in my mind. It's both fascinating and unsettling to hear someone from the same area recounting a similar experience. To this day, I find myself reflecting on those encounters and wondering about the true nature of that mysterious figure. What was it? What did it want? The questions remain unanswered, and the memory of those eerie encounters continues to leave an indelible mark on my consciousness. It's a reminder that there are inexplicable forces in this world that we may never fully understand. I was born and raised and currently live in the very rural north woods of Wisconsin near the UP border of Michigan on land that was originally, and still somewhat sparsely, populated by the Ojibwe people. I had a similar experience this past February, 2023, that I can't shake. I was solo snowshoeing an isolated trail system in the Chekmagon Nicolet National Forest in the Lake Superior Snowbelt, not far from my home. It's a beautifully remote place that I've explored many times alone, often never crossing paths with another person. This time, it was sunny late afternoon. I was again alone on a particularly scenic trail paralleling a small, fast-flowing river, which was open and only iced over on the banks, enjoying the serene scene accompanied by the sweet songs of chickadees and industrious sounds of nuthatches amplified by the cold calm. As I got further on the trail, I noticed it suddenly got very quiet, which wasn't alarming at first as the winter woods can get very silent, especially considering our high snowfall amounts that blanket the land. Then, out of nowhere, I heard a rhythmic, deep, and reedy sound of a low but loud whistle through the brittle woods. I was captivated as I had never heard that sound before. It had a powerful pulse to it that I can't really describe. I am an avid birder, admittedly, not an expert, but I was baffled. The noise was somewhat close when I first noticed it, but instead of being curious, I became concerned as I heard the sound getting closer to me. The sound inexplicably filled me with dread. It seemed to be traveling quickly, maybe as fast as a bounding deer, and seemed physically low, the utterance coming from somewhere just above the ground and well below the treetops. While I was out there, I rationalized that the strange vocalization must be from a raven. Ravens are year-round residents up north, so I am very familiar with them. They are highly intelligent birds with complex, individualized calls that include deep sounds like croaks. However, I have never, ever, in my four decades of living up here have ever heard a raven utter a sound like that noise. That day I was deep in the woods and was the first person breaking trail after a big snow, so I couldn't move fast. I decided that my best course of action was to just keep going until I got to a switchback that would shorten my journey. 
As I paralleled the river from a ridge above dense with new pine growth, I heard the sound from what seemed to be between me and the river, maybe 50 yards maximum. I stopped and listened as it moved on and beyond, still paralleling the river. I couldn't see much ahead of me and I did not hear any footfall of it breaking the snow. Honestly, as irrational as I felt, I was grateful to be hidden. I hauled it to the trailhead and got out of there as fast as I could. As soon as I got home I started researching and seeking out any information on what bird or animal could have created that vocalization. Nothing I found matched that sound. To this day, I just tell myself it must have been a raven, but I know in my own small understanding of the world that it was something else. When I was 13-14 me and my friends would sneak out and go hang out with our boyfriends out in the middle of nowhere. We lived basically in the middle of nowhere, so going to random backroads was pretty much our only option for having fun. We would go to this place called the locals called the tunnel. It was just a dirt road with tall trees and overgrown willows on both sides. It was very secluded, so we would go there to drink beer, smoke weed, and make out with our boyfriends. They would always tell us spooky stories of a large black dog that would chase their car every time they went down there at night. They said one time they went there during the day and the saw the dog dead and mangled on the side of the road. The next time they went back at night, the black dog was alive and well, and chasing after their car again. I knew they were just telling us these stories to scare us, and I wasn't sure if I really believed them, since I had came down to this place with them a few times and I had never seen the black dog. One night around 1 or 2 in the morning, we were sitting in our friend's car in the tunnel. We had all been drinking and smoking weed. We were all joking and laughing when suddenly the driver whispers what is that up there? I looked and didn't see anything so I replied there's nothing up there, your eyes are playing tricks on you. No, seriously, there's something in the road up there he replies. The guy sitting in the passenger seat agrees and says he sees something too. The driver puts the car in drive and starts slowly rolling forward and a figure emerges from the dark. A man in shorts is standing in the middle of the road watching us drive towards him. This is a dirt road, in the middle of nowhere, at 2 in the morning on a very cold fall night, and this man is standing in the road wearing nothing but shorts. Not even shoes on. Just shorts. What the F is he doing? The driver says as he pushes on the brakes and stops the car. We all stare for a moment at this man just staring at us. His eyes were glowing, like a deer's eyes do in headlights. I've never seen a person's eyes glow like that before. We all start freaking out and then the driver says F this. And starts driving forward. Fast. The man just keeps staring at us until we get about 10 feet away and then he just calmly walks to the side of the road and vanishes. There was nowhere for him to go. There were 6 feet tall fences with willows overgrown over the fence, making the barrier at least 10 feet tall. No human man could have cleared all of that. I still can't explain it to this day. I lived in an apartment in Durham that was badly haunted. For almost six months I was visited by a demonic entity at night that came from the woods out back. 
It's a whole story but the boyfriend independently confirmed what I was seeing without me mentioning a thing and that told me I wasn't going crazy. It made me so sick I almost died, three years later and I'm slowly recovering. We had to have the house blessed, which I've never done before but it was a last ditch effort. Moved to a new location and both the boyfriend and I have seen spirits walking around the home, luckily nothing demonic. I would normally think I'm crazy but when you have someone else independently verify things you begin to trust it's actually happening. One night we both saw his father come down the stairs and walked into the kitchen. His father has Parkinson's and the entity was so vivid we thought he passed upstairs in his room. After SH-ting ourselves, we both go running to check on him and he was fine in the shower. So many experiences and even the ones I'm talking about have much more to the story. I've experienced stuff like this my whole life, but the area here is very active. I did learn that a huge war was fought in Durham, so perhaps that's the reason. I'll probably never know. My mom called me late at night last year freaking out. She was home by herself and completely terrified. As she made her way down the hall to her bedroom, she was suddenly met W a loud weird high-pitched whistling coming from her open bedroom window. She was frozen with fear. When I tried to reason with her that it could have been an owl or something of that nature, she stayed adamant that it couldn't be. Because whatever it was, she could tell it was pushed up against her window screen. And since her windows were a good 7 feet off the ground with no ledge whatsoever it just didn't make any sense. She could tell it wasn't human. Whatever it was. I have no problem believing it could have been something unexplained, since I honestly could write a chapter book of the extremely odd supernatural things I've experienced in my life. When I was around 15 me and my friends were driving around going to all the haunted places around the basin. It was getting close to Halloween, so as is tradition we were all trying to scare each other. First we went to a place called the Haunted Woods. This is an actual business, not a place in the woods. Then we went to an abandoned hotel near the Ute Reservation. Nothing of significance happened there, we didn't see or hear anything and we were just goofing around and having fun. Then the driver says we were going to Skinwalker Ranch. I had never heard of Skinwalker Ranch, but I had heard plenty of stories of Skinwalkers. I was intrigued at first, but as we dropped down the hill back behind the property a feeling a total dread settled on me like a heavy blanket. Everyone in the car got more and more quiet, like they were feeling the heaviness too. I don't think we should go here. I spoke softly. Oh, we're going. The driver announced there's no moon tonight and no flashlights allowed, he continued. I will just stay in the truck then, I have a really bad feeling, and I don't want to go. I spoke again. You aren't staying in my truck alone, now get out, he said rudely. I got out of the truck and looked over at my best friend. Her face was white and her eyes were wide and round and I knew she felt the same way that I did. We shouldn't be here. The driver of the truck said that this was the back end of the huge ranch. I wouldn't have believed him that this was really Skinwalker Ranch if I didn't feel that it was in every nerve ending of my body. He walked over to an ancient post and pole fence, undid the loop of wire holding up a small gate, and laid it on the ground. 
There was an overgrown two-track road leading up into the darkness and we followed as he led us up it. The horrible feeling of dread was almost overwhelming and I felt like I was going to be sick. I wanted to go running back to the truck, but had a deep fear that something would pounce the moment I left the safety of the group. We weren't laughing and joking here. That heaviness was weighing on all of us and we walked silently through the dark. As we walked I tried to keep my eyes on my feet but I would occasionally glance to either side of the two-track road. Each time I did I would see a huge black mass out in the tall grass. I told myself it was just a cow, but each time I looked it was in the same spot off to the left, following our journey to the old homestead. Finally, the driver and leader of our foolish expedition stopped and said that we were almost to the old homestead. That we needed to stay quiet in case the owners were around. As he turned to start walking again a growl leapt from the darkness and he stopped and took a step back. He wasn't our fearless leader anymore. His voice shook as he told us it was time to head back to the truck. We walked a little ways back and then one of our group said they needed to use the bathroom. We stopped by a small stream running along the south end of the property. I was smoking and talking to one of my friends about how relieved I was that we were leaving. I glanced down at the stream at the same time my friend did. Just in time to see a black figure emerging from the water. It was not a cow. It was not a coyote. It looked like a too skinny and too tall man. We both screamed and ran back to the road. That was the last straw for everyone and we all ran the entire way back to the truck. Now I know that is eerie, but kind of uneventful. Have no fear. My story isn't over yet. A few months later this adventure had slowly left my mind. I had started to convince myself that the figures in the darkness were just cows and that it probably was just the dark running water playing tricks on my eyes making me see things emerging from the water that weren't really there. My best friend had come over to my house to sit outside, bullshit, and smoke cigarettes. We did this pretty frequently. Like I said in my last story, we lived in the middle of nowhere. So dumb things like this were about as much fun as we could have. So, we are sitting in her car just across the road from my house. Her car is pointed towards the town park, which was just about a block away from my house. There are no other houses on the way to the park, so with the street lamps on at the park, you can basically see everything up there. Oh, look a deer. My friend says suddenly. I could see a set of glowing eyes on the very far end of the park. Oh, yep, there it is. I reply. We watch it as it slowly walks towards the center of the park. In this spot is a huge metal slide slash jungle gym thing, that is probably 10-12 feet tall. As the deer is walking I notice that for some reason I can't make out any features of the deer. It seems to always be just out of reach of the street lamps that are dotted throughout the park. The deer is right next to the slide when suddenly it stands up. The eyes that we were watching are suddenly even with the platform of the slide. Which would make this deer 10-12 feet tall. Then it starts to walk standing on its hind legs. Me and friend both started panicking. What the F is it? That's not a deer. We keep watching this extremely tall creature cross the park when my friend decided we're driving up there. She locks the doors and we head towards the park. When we were almost there the eyes had crossed the street and went into the neighborhood across from the park. 
By the time we got there, whatever it was had vanished. Another few months go by, the event had definitely rattled us and there was no convincing ourselves that it was a deer. Deer do not walk on their hind legs and they are not 10 feet tall. One night, I am at the same friend's house. This friend lived smack dab in the middle of huge farmland. All around her were pastures. It was very peaceful most of the time. We had spent the night watching movies and hanging out. I went and started my car and we were smoking together on her porch before I left. We were just chatting when suddenly her eyes leave my face and look behind me and her eyes grow wide. I turn to look and see two glowing red eyes just past the fence into her neighbor's pasture. What the F is that? I managed to squeak out. I don't know. She whispers back. The eyes remained fixed on us for about 30 seconds then turned to the left, blinked, and vanished. We both ran back in the house. I didn't dare go home for another 45 minutes. If my car hadn't been already started, I probably wouldn't have left at all. A couple of years after these events, I was speaking with a Ute tribal member that I worked with and she said something that gives me goosebumps to this day. She told me it isn't what's on the ranch that you should be afraid of, it's what follows you when you leave. I am convinced that something followed us from Skinwalker Ranch and those terrifying events was something warning us to never go back. I never did and I never will. I used to work on the north slope of Alaska in the oil industry. The work we were doing required us to travel far out into the Alaska Petroleum Reserve which is basically just untamed tundra wilderness for hundreds of miles. The oil companies would build these long ice roads in the winter that would lead to exploration drilling pads. Our job was to go out after they finished the initial drilling and test rock formations for their oil producing qualities. It was mid-January, the sun hadn't quite come up yet. And when I say the sun hadn't come up I mean in almost a month and a half, polar nights are intense. The particular well site we were traveling to was about 60 miles west of Alpine, Alaska. Deep in the wilderness. Our job took a week but we finished and were headed back to camp to finish our hitch and go home. At the beginning and end of the ice roads are guard shacks that you have to check in and out of for safety. No cell reception and radios work only up to a distance. If you don't check in or out in a set time they come looking for you to ensure you're not a popsicle. It was about 4 in the morning, not that it mattered in the land of endless night, and we were halfway across the ice road. Travel was slow as the speed limit on the roads is only 25 miles per hour. When something appeared on the road in our headlights. It was a man. In jeans, sneakers, and a hoodie jacket. Walking down an ice road in wilderness tundra at 4 am and it was minus 20 degrees outside. It's not unusual for the local Inuit people to be out this far hunting. Maybe his snowmobile broke down and he's trying to get back to the guard shack? Seemed plausible. He didn't acknowledge us as our trucks rolled up next to him. He just kept shuffling forward. He didn't seem cold, his clothing, while totally not appropriate for this extreme weather, appeared warm and dry. We also noticed he wasn't Inuit, but Caucasian. I rolled down my window and asked if he needed any help and if he was okay. He still didn't acknowledge us, just kept shuffling forward. His face was completely blank, 
devoid of any thought or emotions. The other guys in my truck suggested that maybe he was in an accident and in shock. I continued rolling my truck alongside him as he trudged down the road still trying to get his attention. Even in this extreme cold I could occasionally get whiffs of a peculiar smell coming off him. He smelled. Acidic? If that makes sense? There was just a lot about this guy that made the hair on my neck stand up. The guy behind me in the truck's crew cab had had enough of all this. He rolled down his window and reached out to grab the guy. He later said he was just going to try and shake him out of his stupor. Before my buddy's hand could reach him though this walking popsicle spun around and latched onto my buddy's outstretched arm. He glared at my buddy and then at me with this look of pure rage not removing his hand from his arm. If emotions had a physical temperature this guy could have melted the entire tundra that night. My buddy groaned in pain as he tried to get his arm free from Mr. Popsicle. At that moment this guy starts screaming in our faces. There was so much hate and rage and anger in that scream. It was absolutely terrifying. I slammed on the gas and spun out on the ice for a second before the wheels caught and launched us forward. Popsicle dude still had a hold of my buddy's arm and was trying to pull him out of the truck. He was running alongside the truck while the other guys in the cab held onto my buddy to keep him inside. After several moments, if could only have been a few seconds at most, my buddy tore free from this guy and we hauled ass to the guard shack another 30 miles down the road. We checked in with the guards and reported what we had just seen. The guard was looking at us like we were pulling a prank, but policy said they had to check it out regardless. My buddy's arm was sore and when he pulled back his sleeve there were noticeable bruises in the shape of a hand around his arm. We filed a report with the guard and were told to head back to our camp. None of us really wanted to talk about what happened and it was a quiet drive the rest of the way. We flew home the next day. The next time we saw the guard at this shack we asked him if they ever saw Mr. Popsicle on his patrols. He told us they searched up and down that ice road for a solid 12-hour shift and saw nothing, not even tracks in the snow leading off the road. He told us it was a good prank and that he'd get us back for making him waste a shift driving around. But it wasn't a prank. Who would make up a story like that? And who would willingly bruise their arm for a dumb prank? We never got a satisfying answer to what happened that evening. I still wonder about that dude if he even was a dude. The Alaskan tundra is a weird place and that was just one of my many weird stories from my time up there. I'll work to write down more of my experiences and share them to the appropriate subs.